Today I welcome Liz Hewer, head at St George's Ascot in the UK. In this episode, I discuss community engagement, authentic leadership, boarding, and the importance of international student recruitment. How important is your behaviour in terms of role modelling for the girls that you have at school? Anyone involved at the school would say, and I'm sure you know, you would probably say as well, knowing each other sort of social media wise, that authenticity is enormously important to me. And I think partly because, I mean, I've worked not only have I got my own teams now where it's really coming home to roost, you know, I've worked in schools, particularly boarding schools, where you do develop much closer relationships often with pupils over the years. And particularly with girls, I think, you know, obviously that role modeling is clearly going to be more relevant with a teenage girl, with a woman, I would imagine for parts of their life at least anyway and I think you know teenagers can sniff out authenticity really easily you know I think I instinctively and something you know integrity is hugely important to me and I I like people that are straightforward what you see is what you get and and I mean that in a positive way but actually you can spend a lot of time playing games or trying to understand what someone's really meaning and I'm you know I would probably quite straight talking I think my senior team would say I'm quite straight talking. And I think that's really important for the girls. I mean, I think they would say I'm quite strict in some ways. I mean, you know, they know that I'm going to be making sure they look smart and I want them to try hard and do their best. And I think, you know, we, like in all schools, we strive for excellence in what we do. That doesn't mean we always feel we need to be the best at everything, but actually for us and for our situation or whatever individual and whatever they're doing, that's really important to me. So to be trying hard, but actually I also think it's really important that they they get to know you and I think that's sometimes easier in a in a smaller school but also things like rules are they might say well you know how come the older girls or the staff don't have to tie their hair back and the younger girls do and actually you know this is all about rites of passage and and actually you know if you don't have any rules I mean the girls quite like our uniform actually they, they're pretty easy and we let the girls wear you know a small hoop or they can wear a, a necklace if it's a religious symbol it's amazing how many of them have crosses Um, which I think sell very well to teenagers. But actually, you know, I'm also a great believer that rules have got to be there for a reason. Generally, rules are because it's the law. So you've got to do maths because you have to do maths. (laughs) Or they're to keep you safe. So actually, fundamentally in schools, particularly in boarding, you know, rules are there because we need to know where you are. Why can't we do this? We need to know where you are and we need to know that you're safe. And that is really, so when things like, you know, fire or most rules boil down to that. So I would say, you know, in school council, which I absolutely love, and we're doing it all online now and the girls, couple of reps from each year and my head girls basically run it for me really if something is a bit petty or there's no reason for it I say okay well let's talk about it a sort of maybe a silly example would but something that's quite meaningful is when I started at school there used to be a short sleeve shirt for the summer and a long sleeve shirt for the winter and a jumper for winter cardigan for the summer you know the shirt's the same fabric the jumper is red and it's either buttoned so they actually look the same and some girls get hot some girls are always cold some girls like jumper, some girls cardigan. So I sort of made the radical decision that you could either wear a short sleeve or a long sleeve or a jumper or cardigan all year. That's radical. I mean, I think we need to throw out the boarding school manuals and that's it. I think it's cardigans on short sleeve, long sleeve. But I think that it's important for your identity and your personality, honest authenticity to you. And I think it's important. And you are, you know, this is your first headship. You know, I think it's important now understanding new parents, new families, the generations that are always on social, that you need to be approachable and you can't overdo a story. You can't overdo marketing and try and make it almost a bit too contrived. And you don't come across that way. Is there a danger? You talk about being firm and being strict with things and you need to, as a leader, be that. There's a real fine balance between, well, I think we find that with parenting, 
is that there's a fine balance between wanting to be their friends and being cool and being that person and being firm and strict and going, look, actually, my job as well is to steward you to ensure that you become a well-rounded, happy, confident adult. You know, that's my role as a parent, but also as a head of a school. How do you find that balance between fun and firm? I think balance is a word. I mean, you've, I'm sure you've seen in our social media, it's a massive thing. And, and the girls, one of our some hashtags, SGA balance, the girls will do a, I would call it an affectionate eye roll. But when I sort of, you know, talk about balance again in assembly or something and they go, oh, SGA balance. But actually, I think it's educating them that there's a time and a place, you know, so the girls will know that actually, you know, when you're in assembly, when you're in lessons or so a good example is at the end of term at Christmas. So obviously didn't happen in December, but we have our formal carol service where the choir come in. We have it in the big church in Windsor, loads of parents, hundreds and hundreds of people there. You know, it's really formal. I would be, we all would be, if girls were sort of nattering or or being disrespectful in that, you know, absolutely not. I would walk up and pick a girl out and say, you know, in front of everyone and make quite a big deal of it if that was the case. So that's our sort of formal, that's the last day of term and that signals our end of term. The night before, we actually quite unusually have all our Christmas celebrations with, you know, because we have day girls as well, but all the day girls, border staff, we all have it in the evening on a Wednesday night. We have drinks with the sixth form, the upper sixth beforehand. Then we all go into the chapel, you know, which is, it's our chapel, but it's also where we have assemblies, where we have celebrations as well. And we have fun carols. So this was a bit of a change I made. It used to be a bit of a blur with some of the girls wanting to sing loudly to, you know, 12 days of Christmas. And then, you know, they'd have to be in the bleak midwinter quietly. And I said, no, no, let's make this fun. I was teaching the girls the actions to 12 days of Christmas. You know, I'm at the front. We all then go into a big supper and then we, which is a, a mad crush of everybody in the school community. Again, how that's going to work in the future feels like a different world. And then we go into our theatre, which is when we push all the seats back. It's like a big rave. Um, so, so a big disco with girls and staff. And, and the first year, so our, our 11, you know, 12 girls that come in and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then the whole school's there together. So let's have fun when we're having fun. And, you know, at the weekends or if we're playing sports, you know, they know that I'll be shouting on the sideline as loud as anybody. But actually on the way to assembly, being quiet. So I think it's really hard for girls, well, for all teenagers, particularly if you're inconsistent. And therefore, I think, you know, if you asked the pupils, you know, they would say sometimes Mrs. Hugh is quite strict and I like to think I do it with a smile, but I'll be like, oh, you know, is there a reason why we have most of the store of earrings on your ears this morning? Why don't you just wait to the side and take them off and then you can go in? You know, and I think we get that balance. A lot of our day girls, quite a few of them bored as they go up through the school. So I've got girls very locally. I think that sort of fits with the general ethos of during the week, you know, we have a long school day for everybody. They do clubs here, they do prep here. And therefore girls think, well, actually, I might as well, I can go to the gym with my friends or I can go for a swim. I want to do some work. I concentrate better in the library. I want to be with my friends rather than with my parents for supper. And then at the weekend, the girls in the sixth form look very natural. They're, you know, they're more likely to be stressing about being late for a music lesson or a Lambda lesson, or they haven't done their physics essay or something. And then at the weekend, when there are 18th birthday parties, which I imagine there will be again, I'm sure I would recognise half of them. They would be very different. But I think, you know, that's great again. You know, I think that's a good lesson for life. That sort of idea of, you know, for our boarders who are here, the weekends are, are quieter. They're sort of family based in house and they have activities, but they have quite an input into that as well. And we don't make them frantically do things every minute of the day because that's not real at home. They would probably be having a bit of a snooze on a Sunday morning. So they have brunch a bit later. So I think it's consistency is really, and that's really hard. And I think that's hard as a parent 
Yeah, it is. Consistency, you know, teenagers absolutely need that. They also need routine. They are adaptable. They see things differently. And that has always been, been important. But I want to talk about, you know, headships, leadership. This is your first headship. Is it everything it's cracked up to be? And has it turned out how you thought it would be before you entered into the role? That's a really good question, because I think one thing I'm, I don't know whether I'm something I'm quite good at, but my nature is I don't think I had particular expectations. I've never, in fact, in my career had targets or you might say, gosh, that's not a good thing. And I think I've made good decisions in terms of jobs I've got or gone for. And I've made those because they felt right and they suited me at the time. And actually, I'm a great believer in my gut instinct, you know, and with some of the decisions we have to make, we're making a lot of leadership decisions at the moment, you know, on the whole, I mean, not, not everyone's going to agree with everything we do at the moment, it is, but actually mostly they have, I've trusted my instinct. And, and that's been something, you know, I did seven years at St Mary's with a fantastic role model as a head, Mary Breen, who's a great friend of mine as well. You know, again, someone that amazing role model works exceptionally hard, but also we had a lot of fun together. And as a senior leadership team, our jobs really evolved. They weren't in straight lines. So actually, I started taking over from someone who was doing the role in a very different way. And I ended up taking over pastoral deputy head in charge of the pastoral board. But actually, I ended up line managing all the sport and P because that was sort of my background and my specialism. So I did sport and another deputy did music and drama. Now, that's not the way you necessarily set up a school normally, but it really played to our strengths. As a team, we work really well together. So, you know, I had seven years at St. Mary's and I would have, you know, stayed there really happily. But I was able to have experience in loads of different areas, you know, dealing with difficult HR, you know, dealing with things like marketing, routine. I was also very involved on the academic side of the school, which, you know, was by choice. I felt like I couldn't have been better prepared, genuinely. I took the job at St. George's because it felt right. It suited um, me, it felt strange, although it was very near. I'd never been around the school until I applied. Also, I knew that if I didn't get it, I'd be really happy doing what I was doing as well. You know, the stakes weren't so high. And I think, you know, gosh, has it been what I expected? Well, I knew that I'd be doing, my job really is getting girls into the school and, and recruiting staff. That's really the role of a head because both those things are probably the most important. People are the most important thing. I've had so many curveballs. I started in my first year, I didn't have an academic deputy. I was dealing with quite a complex staffing issue. So I was sort of running the academic side of the school in my first year. But I had the opportunity to then appoint my own person in that role, who's fantastic. He's been with me for four years and you know, having the confidence to say, actually, no, why do we do that? But I think, you know, over time, I've got much more involved in wider sort of things like the Girls' School Association, BSA, things like in marketing. I've been a governor of a few different schools, done overseas marketing, which is something I hadn't really done before as well. So I think it feels like I'm in my fifth year, but I genuinely feel like I've still only just started. And I think before you talk in an open morning or at speech day or something, if you don't have the butterflies in your stomach. I think that's a sign that you probably maybe you're, it doesn't matter because these things really matter to me. There's so many things, particularly now post COVID, <laughs> whenever that may be, that feels like schools are always different. Schools are always places where because you're dealing with people, there's no two days the same. And I like that. I've learned a lot. And what have you learned most about yourself during this time? I mean, it's five years, so you know, you come off the back of great mentoring and actually mentoring is a massive part of developing good leaders. You know, we'll talk about maybe some mentoring about your legacy later on. But what have you learned most about yourself during these five years as being ahead? I've learned that actually I've appointed good people. I've always been very pro empowering people. And that's something that I think has really grown at the school. And I, if that's quite a new thing in a school, people can think you're sort of shunning work. But actually, 
sometimes it's a lot more work in the first year to show people how to do it and why and you know and blind copy people onto emails so that they see that your way of thinking I, I did a lot of that to begin with to try and get people into the same psyche of how I wanted us to operate but I think you know I've learned that actually my judgment is generally pretty good and actually I've always trusted my judgment pretty well and been confident that I can make good decisions you know don't be afraid to say you don't know or you know when you start you have this feeling that everyone else knows what's going on and I love it I mean I've got new colleagues who started this year to say you know we're all winging it at times of course we are because we've never dealt with these things before but actually if you come back to what are your principles and what is your judgment and I think that's really important I've also learned to I think it's probably come at a time as my you know personal life my children have got a bit older you know I'm no use to anyone if I'm grumpy, tired, and looking a bit ropey, that's not going to help anyone. So actually, I'm quite good. I really encourage my staff, and we're really good with boarding staff time off as well, is actually to, in the summer, I got really into lake swimming. I actually planned the school reopening while swimming around a lake. And then at the moment, I go mountain biking quite a lot. So I did three hours on Saturday morning whilst thinking about, yeah, lots of other stuff. But I do, I find that really helpful for processing. And I also listen to a webinar on going for a walk on Saturday afternoon and some people might say well that's you know you're working all the time but actually sometimes to be away from school and reflect and allow that time for processing I think that's certainly in the last year that's something I really value. And tell me what has been your biggest success at St George's so far? I would say the thing I feel currently most proud of is actually that we transitioned so readily to remote schooling in March and we had put so a couple of years before we had a big I've been involved in IT steering at my previous school as had my deputy and we knew what sort of devices we didn't want and we did a lot of work on you know I wanted devices to be school owned school controlled and again coming back to balance which again the girls have heard me say so much but it's that you know my iPad or my phone is my play device this Chromebook, what we give the girl is work and again have that separation. I think it's healthy, but also that we wanted everyone to have the same so that you haven't got Snapchat or whatever on your Chromebook. And so, you know, you don't need that in school because you're doing work stuff. Okay. When you go home and you want to snap a couple of your friends you were at prep school with, great. That's really good for your, you know, connecting with people. Brilliant. We did a lot of work on moving to the cloud. And when, you know, it happened to time that we got to a point where a lot of our systems, we already had our things like our prep. The prep tasks were all on our system, Dragonfly, we call it. And so it very quickly just became that was your lesson and the Google Meet for your lesson. So literally overnight, we were able to do that. And I think that was really good because the infrastructure was in place, but it, none of it works if the communication isn't in place. And I think, you know, the communication and that I would say mostly between the staff and the pupils. So we obviously, I feel that we have an environment at St George's, which I know was way before me. I'm not going to take all the credit for it at all, because it's very much a special thing about St George's, the relationships. But the fact that it's really come to the fore and it's really been evident during the remote schooling period is that those relationships at St George's really are really strong. They're authentic. They're deep. The staff are commenting on, you know, I'm a bit worried about this girl or this girl's not quite picking up. I have an online head to department meeting and the granular level, my, you know, special needs coordinators, stretch coordinators, EAL teachers are giving to staff and departments about the girls. It's something I'm really proud of because they are, you know, it's not the same as being together. They, we're desperate to have them back. But cultivating those relationships, providing the sort of infrastructure where those relationships can thrive is probably something I feel you know, really proud of. And I feel proud for my staff. Everyone is behind us. 
you know, that isn't the case when you're dealing with ranges of people. And I think I'm really proud of that. And that's not just come from me, but I think come from the much wider school community. Yeah. And it's and it's great to see that success. And I know that a lot of schools, well, all schools faced this battle 12 months ago. And it's amazing to see the reaction and the resilience shown by not just school leadership, but by parents, by the kids themselves and obviously the teachers to get in the boat together and get through this. I've become much braver. Like I think, funny enough, we had a big school-wide, one of the school pulse surveys about a year and a half ago, probably even more than that, actually. Um, and we had the results just before the lockdown. I remember I was quite embedded in, you know, PPE and things, issues at the time. I'm thinking, gosh, this is the first time we've done a very big school-wide survey. And I would have been, you know, a bit anxious about, oh, what's going to say about the head? Oh, she's awful. You know, and actually, as soon as we went to remote schooling from, you know, April, from the beginning of term in April, we've regularly surveyed parents, staff, pupils, not done parents as often, because I'm trying to balance irritating them as well. But actually about, you know, one of the questions to parents, do you think we've got the balance right between giving the girls a fullest education experience as we can, this was in September, versus keeping them COVID safe? You know, 91% of parents said agree or strongly agree, which was great. I would have been quite reluctant to be so exposed. I think it was a confidence saying, and the more you do it, you're like, bring it on you need to do that I know it's, it's easy to sit back and hide and worry what people say but you only grow as a leader and you can only change things by really asking those tough questions and you know there will be things that we failed in and obviously during your five years we do need to always talk about failure not necessarily things that are really public if you were to look back maybe over the last five years to your younger self five years ago starting on headship is there anything that you would do differently I think probably when I started. I think I would probably say try and listen more. You know, I think particularly when you're a younger head, you come in and you want to be the one having the ideas and be, you know, the not necessarily ideas, because actually I did, I definitely didn't come in. And part of that was because I didn't have a full leadership. I didn't come in and say, we're going to change this. Because I was really very much of the opinion of, you know, people said, what's your vision? And I said, well, I've only been there a week. You know, I, it'd be really naive and arrogant to think I know the answers. And I, I didn't do that at all. But I think, You know, there's so many people in a school environment that if you give them a voice and uh, things like the support staff loo facilities, I never realised until a couple of years ago, were quite a big issue for some of the support staff. And we'd done a wellbeing survey. We're just finishing an amazing new cookery and food tech room at the moment. Part of that's enabled us to turn the old cookery room, which is actually in the catering corridor, into new cloakroom and changing and loo facilities for the support staff for the catering and the cleaners and things. And I had no idea that that was something that was a real grumble for people that perhaps didn't feel they ever had my ear. And actually, you know, they they shouldn't all need to have my ear. You know, they should have people they can talk to. But I think probably listening to the different voices, I think is really important, you know, because I think some people will think, oh, I've, you know, I've got, there's a new head coming or we had a new bursary and I'm going to bend their ear about this thing that I've been banging on about for 10 years. But sometimes it's the quiet people that have the really good ideas. And I think there's a confidence from saying, actually, I'm not going to make that decision now. So actually, that's probably the other thing. So listening and also not rushing things. I don't feel the need to be the first person that's got the guidance of, I'm going to announce my testing regime before any other school. Never been. I'm not interested in that. And I think delaying sometimes and saying, do you know what? Let's pause, reflect. That needs so much confidence, particularly when people are saying, you know, you might have parents or girls saying, 
we don't know what's happening next week. And I say, oh, no, we're just working it out. You know, that's a confidence thing, I think. It's really hard. And I, I do think when you're younger, I feel sometimes, you know, if I'm managing people older than me, it doesn't bother me in the slightest now. But when I was younger, that was something I was more conscious of. It's tough being a leader. It's a lonely place. I can absolutely testify to that. And everyone thinks you've got the answers. They look to you for inspiration. They look to you for direction. And sometimes you just haven't got it. And, you know, I think what what you've said about looking back, listening, empowering, making sure that I think a leader is about direction, putting the better people in the boat with you to deliver it. But always you're the one holding the map. And I think actually your, your journey so far has absolutely shown that. And that's a great DNA of a role model for your girls, but other girls and other kids that are looking at leadership in any form. So I think that's great. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. I want to talk to you about boarding because 2020 has taught us the importance of family, being close to home. Do you think that COVID will be the catalyst for a steeper downturn in boarding? Do we still need it? Interestingly, a lot of us in boarding have seen UK boarding as the biggest growth for this coming academic year. Probably those of us that are on the periphery of London, and we like many other schools, I mean, we all end up sometimes with similar marketing meshes. You know, we get the best of both worlds. We've got eye looking outside and it looks like, I mean, I have got lots of houses in the trees, but I could be in the new forest. You know, it's, it looks like it's forested everywhere. I've got great park near me, but we're 15 minutes from Heathrow and straight into central London being in Ascot. But I think we're seeing some people that live in the cities thinking, you know, we're valuing nature, public open space, the things that their children haven't been able to do. You know, their experience of being in London and having a park is quite different to my children here who can go from my house, you know, drive straight to the other side of the Windsor without going on a road because it's through the park and everything. Very different. So I think that's the space, you know, that's always been part of our attraction to pupils and I think that's more acute having said that we're also seeing some families who looked at us for what we call tailored boarding our sort of weekly boarding provision who then might be day because they're moving out of London and that you know the home counties have seen quite a lot of that so but actually quite a lot of those families and that's where our provision at St George's you know I think works quite well is that they've obviously got boarding in their psyche because they were looking at boarding initially they're then saying actually my 11 year old I quite like her at home maybe she could do the odd night or and I say to parents you know if you're going on holiday you could go on holiday in term time and we'll look after them but when they may be 13 14 or even you know we move into our next boarding house as they go into their GCSE into the year 11 that's a trigger point as well where they often will convert into boarding my children are desperate to go back to school. My son's a full boarder and quite frankly can't wait to get away from all of us. You know, I think we are realising having been stuck at home so much that actually the relationships with their peers are hugely important. So interestingly, the weekly type boarding for us, we're seeing certainly at 11, we've got quite a few girls coming to do the weekly boarding or they might come, we do a bus into Richmond. They might do a couple of nights. They're looking to perhaps build up 
as they go. Interestingly, I think the thing we're seeing more with our international families is probably fewer coming age 11, 12, 13. Now that's a trend, 11, 12, I would say, that's a trend that's been going on for a while because, you know, families seem to be less keen to send a young, and I get that. And I think at the moment, I completely understand why family might delay a year or two from perhaps why they've thought of moving their child in a global pandemic to the other side of the world. But actually what we are seeing, I mean, I chair the Girls' School Association Boarding Committee, as you know, and we had a meeting last week, and we're all seeing real confidence. We were worried six, nine months ago when, you know, the UK didn't have a particularly great track record publicly, internationally, perhaps for how other countries saw we were handling things. The vaccines made an enormous difference to our perception, but also the experience. We had virtually all our borders back from September to December, as did most schools. It was the safest place to be. They weren't mixing with lots of different people. We knew where they were. We didn't have outbreaks in boarding schools of COVID across the country at all. And actually, the parents are really keen to come back. The factor is it's the quarantine and the travel. So, you know, some younger pupils were having to go back, you know, to say a big city in China, a transport hub, quarantine for two weeks, then go back to their local city, another five hours flight away and quarantine for another two weeks. Clearly, those things are a massive barrier. But actually, we're seeing internationally a lot of confidence. And I think, you know, that boarding education, the UK boarding education is one of our most successful industries. It still seems to be, even with international schools cropping up in a lot of countries, you know, there does seem to be still a, a lot of demand for that. So actually, you know, we feel next term is a bit unknown. September will be unknown in some ways. But you know, looking in the next year or two, we feel quite confident actually in our established market and probably even more confident in our UK boarding. Yeah, which is great because the UK market has always been on a downward decline because parents wanted their kids closer to home. And I think what we've done and even just tracking sentiment and market over the last 12 to 15 months since the early days of lockdown was that in lockdown one, there was this, it felt nice actually to have your kids around. The novelty was great. You know, the thought of remote learning, it changed education. And I thought, you know what, this is a model. I think this, this will really shake up the boarding market. But as this has gone on and on and on, you know, your point about, you know, the kids are ready to go back to school. Yeah, absolutely. The parents are ready for their children to go back to school. The parents need their kids back in school. And so that appetite for boarding, I can absolutely see the appeal and why that's more attractive, because parents want to know that their child is in an environment where they can thrive, be happy. It's wraparound. It's well-grounded. They're there with their friends because living with teenagers is hard. I can testify to having three of those. Whilst it's been brilliant, it is hard. Not just them, us all being in a closed confinement for, you know, for so long, but it's also their mental well-being. And that's the biggest thing I've worried about. It's not academic. Academic is one thing. Everyone will catch up with where they are academically at some point. It's not a big deal. But partially, their well-being side, I think, suffered. Are you doing anything differently when you go back or when you're back at school that you would have done before in terms of transitioning the girls? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. So we've, you know, with the A-level and GCSE such uncertainty, we decided to press ahead with having the girls doing some assessments because they were meant to be doing them before half term and we were then expecting to be back. So actually we have done some in the last couple of weeks with the GCSE and A-level girls online, which is, you know, we've used quite a secure system that 
a lot of schools are using now. It's not perfect, of course. It's never going to be perfect. There'll always be parameters. You know, what I didn't want is them to come back and then be in an exam room or having tests. Actually, they need to be engaging. And, and throughout the periods of time we've been in school and coming back, you know, we've had run a full program. So, you know, we can't do quite as many swim squad sessions, say, before school. But because they have to be in their sort of year group cohorts, we can't split the. But actually, we're still doing that, you know, so they can then come on and come and have breakfast. They do their clubs, they do their prep at school. So we're having a really full day. But I think what's really interesting is the next three weeks, I think, you know, we do need to be really, I'm seeing this as a sort of three week period where, come on, we've got to all do this together. You know, I've been, you know, saying to girls, right, all through this, talking about well-being, you know, we have a, we've had a long lunch hour, we've had 50 minutes break between each lessons, get outside, get fresh air, get vitamin D. I mean, I'm banging on about these things since January. And it's hard, it's even getting easier now with the longer evenings. But we've actually been discussing, you know, the summer term. And you know, one of the real strengths of St. George's, the size of our school, but it comes back to what I said earlier about the relationships and these, you know, the relationships are unusually strong between staff and girls. And that is, that's quite a a self-fulfilling thing I think when you join the school and you you know I'm a great believer in modeling behavior I think as a senior leadership team the way we interact with each other the fact that you know we're professional but they see that we like each other we're having fun as well I think the modeling behavior and I think the younger girls come in and they see that actually the girls get on really well with their teachers the older girls they also see that other older girls are nice to them and older girls are friends with them and therefore when they get up through the school they model that behavior too so there's a lot about St George's it's very much about vertical mixing and it's quite unusual in girls schools girls can sometimes be <gasps> couldn't talk to her she's the year above you know or you know she's giving me a funny look or you know girls are, are wonderful but it's really special and one of the things you know we've said in the summer term is when or when we can make more that actually the priority for us so we might say okay we want to do a drama production now the drama department might say oh we want to do this because it's the best drama our bottom line is no what is the thing we can do that enables most mixing we're setting that a bit like we might have you know diversity as one of our founding principles you know what what impact does this have on the environment when we're planning events it's how can we vertically mix because all the mixing's been horizontal so for girls, when the girls, we talk about how connected, we ask them in surveys about well-being. And the thing that comes up as a, as a real thing is feeling connected to other parts of the school. And that's the same, I think, across the country, because they're only online. They're having lessons with their year group in school. You know, they're, my sixth former asked if we even had any year sevens in September because they had a different lunchtime. They didn't even quite sensibly ask how we set the school up. But we had a fire drill and they went, there they are. And that's so unusual for us at St George's. So that's a really important thing. And also, you know, I've just been talking with my academic deputy yesterday about the plan for sort of, you know, assessments. I don't really want to call them summer exams is what we'd usually have. So what's the optimum time to have an assessment in the summer when they're back in, which actually genuinely pulls out where they might have holes in their learning that we need to rearrange. So genuinely looking at their academic progress but actually can we do those early enough that when hopefully in June and when we have a bit we can have some fun in the second half of term because we need to you know play the unlocking roadmap as well and I think quite often in schools certainly in senior schools we're quite conscious of if the last few weeks of term where the parents say well they've been on trips every day and they seem to be doing no work you know in the end of the summer term this year I think it let's try and do as many house lacrosse that we haven't been able to have last this term in the summer if we want it and then the next day let's have house tennis 
let's just load the fun. I think that's going to be my catchphrase today for you. You know, summertime, we're going to load the fun. You mentioned one of your hats being that of marketing the school and ensuring that, you know, you do get new families, that the brand reputation of St. George's is out there and in the right and in the right way. You're described as a Twitter whiz by Tatler. How important is that from a marketing point of view? And are you driven by the marketing side of social media? Or do you do it because you like it? So it's quite interesting. I think on my personal social media, I have sort of Facebook and Instagram. I'm not really into the whole Snapchat thing, although my my children ask me to. And actually, you know, there's a little bit of a blur there. My daughter at my own school, obviously I have friends who are also parents. But actually, I see that as quite separate that's you know I don't I'm not massively into that you know I use it to keep in touch with people for my Twitter it's very much you know me as SGA head not that I'm saying there are different things there I'm very conscious that I'm you know posting as the head but I feel it's also hugely important that it's really authentic I um, think over the last year, we've all become, you know, this picture of me mud splattered all over my face, having been mountain biking, because I've had a really, you know, it's been a really tricky week with new guidance, whatever. And this is how I'm looking after myself that we can. And that's as it is. And I think that's as important. And I think in a small school, you know, the parents and the girls and the staff probably feel closer sometimes to, you know, I, I would have a very different job, I think, in a school of a thousand. I like that. I'm attracted to a school where I actually genuinely know each girl. I know something about them. I know their family. It's been very different this year, having not had all our admissions events. You know, by the time the girls arrive in September, usually I know who the parents are. I know the names and the faces. And that's something that's really important. And I think that goes both ways in that they buy into a school partly because of the head in terms of they feel that you'll have more impact on their daughter's life because of the closer relationship. So I think it, it works both ways. And yeah, for me, sort of edgy Twitter. I mean, I um, have connected with people in so many different sorts of schools and I get some really interesting links. I mean, I think certainly over the Easter holidays last year when I was I was absolutely obsessed with having a new timetable that put well-being at the centre. So I spent ages on webinars of people in the Middle East and in, in Hong Kong. They'd all be remote schooling quite a lot before us. And I wanted to learn their feedback. And I, I got really into it. And I might, you know, I'd send articles to my senior leadership team saying, oh, this is quite important, or this is this is really interesting. And and I really, I mean, for me, I think that was a coping mechanism. Um, I wasn't very good, I think, at feeling completely out of control. And I've got better at feeling comfortably uncomfortable. I think for me, that was a right, okay, you know, I've had to stand up in front of all the staff and say, you know, we're closing. And for some of my, you know, catering or cleaning staff, this maybe will pay you next month. I really don't know what's going to happen. So I think I felt that shot, that weight of responsibility, unlike I'd ever had before as an employer of lots of people. Yeah, you know, I have a strong opinion when it comes to all heads should be on Twitter. That's about being relevant and being current, but also having a voice and sharing what's going on. The only thing I'm going to leave you with is don't forget the branded hashtags. Don't forget my branded. I've not been doing enough lately. No, you're right. I've been looking down at and, you know, if I was to give you a report card right now on your Twitter, <laughs> on, your, on your branded hashtags. Do you know what? It's not even meeting meeting expectations it's probably because I've been spent so long with my teens at home that every teen or their friends that they seem to know says things like SGA connected they actually make fun of me now through it 
Oh, okay. So, so, oh my God. So you've been influenced by it. So you almost been bullied out of it. And no, don't. No. Every, every, so I need you, to you retain need to, my inner confidence. It, exactly. Don't ignore <laughs> them because that makes your content evergreen and be, be useful. Um, Liz, thank you ever so much for your time today. It's been really great catching up with you as ever. Yeah, take care. Thanks, Thanks. Bye-bye. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.